shotglassdigital.com. this episode of Geek Out Loud, it is the battle of the ages as we discuss that, well, that age-old question, Marvel or DC? It's going to be a geek fest all about superheroes and comic books on this, your safe place to geek out. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out on the internet. And man, it's been a while. Been a while. It's been a bit since uh, we've had the chance to uh, get together. Last week was a bit crazy, had a lot of uh, extra stuff going on, and it just prevented me from being able to sit down and podcast like I'd like to. But here we are, starting the week off, uh, not with a big honking show, as is our custom generally, but starting off with Geek Out Loud because we've got a full week of podcasts coming your way. Tomorrow night will be some Mark Out Loud. Uh, Not sure what's going to be happening Wednesday night quite yet, but Thursday night we'll be back in the saddle with Disney Vault Talk, the very successful Disney Vault Talk uh, of the Goliverse, now part of Shot Glass Digital at shotglassdigital.com. And so happy to be over that way. want to say thank you to everyone who's given us a heads up about the feed issues we've had over the past week or so. Uh, you know, we're always trying to improve and get better, and quite frankly, we're using an outdated uh, RSS, you know, feed system thing. I, I don't know what the, an, an aggregator, an analytical thing. Basically, I went the easy route seven years ago when I was doing Geek Out Loud for the first time and, and was using a service that was then purchased by Google, uh, FeedBurner. And Google, about two years ago, just stopped messing with it. They're like, all right, it'll still be there, but we're not doing anything special with it anymore. And over time, it's gotten a bit buggy and that sort of thing. And I I think that's been the issue. Um, There could be some changes soon to the feeds. So if if it affects you in any way, we're trying to do it so it doesn't affect anybody in any of the subscriptions you have to do. But if it does, we'll give you plenty of heads up because the goal is to get better and better and better. We're, we may be moving over to a pay service uh, for these things to try and make things better and smoother and, um, and that sort of thing. And, and that's what the Patreon campaign is for, to help us do those things so that we can make sure that I never post an episode and it just doesn't go anywhere. That's what happened with uh, Andy's episode, Geek Out Loud 102, but it's up now and in the feed, as well as uh, hopefully if you re-download 
uh, Rock Out Loud. Those of you who are having problems with our Awesome Mix Volume 1 episode of Rock Out Loud, you should be able to download that now and and hear it in its entirety. There, there were some issues there as far as... There was, for some people, there was just a chunk of time cut out, and for other people, it just stopped um, the minute you tried to play it. So hopefully... All that's been fixed. We're we're again trying to get better, and when you're dealing with someone who's as ignorant as some, about some of the things as I am, it gets tricky sometimes. So, honestly, I had a, a to-do list today on my Epic Win to-do list that got pushed to the side to try to make sure the feed stuff was fixed. So hopefully, that's uh, that's going good, and and we've got that out of the way. Now, one of the things that does help us get better is your support through using the Amazon link at www.geekoutonline.com. Head over that way. Uh, there actually in the sidebar, there's a place where th- there's a few like products it suggests, but then at the bottom, there's a search bar. Search what you're looking for. It'll take you right to Amazon. Do all your shopping through Amazon from that link, and it'll help us out. We get a little taste back. doesn't cost you anything extra. You don't have to do anything special other than instead of going to Amazon, go to geekoutonline.com first. And then go from there, and it really helps the show out, and we appreciate you doing that, as well as uh, supporting us at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. And again, as I say all the time, because I mean it, and thank you doesn't do enough to say thank you. You know, it's one of those things that I'm constantly uh, overwhelmed by just the support that you guys have shown uh, at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. If you haven't shown the support, I'm just overwhelmed by the fact that you download the podcast and listen, and I appreciate that. But if you want to be a supporter at any level that you're comfortable with, you can head to patreon.com slash geekoutloud and uh, support us in the same way that Matthew Marks has. Matt Marks uh, says on the Goloverse Wall of Fame, you know that character Toad from the X-Men? He's like him, only super good-looking. In other words, he's got some amazing agility and skills, a little bit of strength here and there. He can spit goo in your face and suffocate you, but he's not all ugly. He's uh, he's not ugly, ugly, ugly. He's a good-looking dude. The men want to be him, the women want to be with him kind of thing. So uh, thanks to Matthew Marks and thanks to everyone. You can check out the Goloverse Wall of Fame by heading over to geekoutonline.com. You know, I want to talk a little bit about geekoutonline.com. It, it started as a blog did geekoutonline.com, and I was actually referring back to some of it today for the show notes, for getting ready for what we're doing and what we're talking about tonight, because back in the day when I when I was blogging on, on the reg, if you will, is that a thing, on the reg, regularly, <clears throat> um, I was writing a lot about superheroes and comic books and stuff, so I wanted to go back, and it's a neat to me for my personal enjoyment time capsule of where I was in 2007, 2008 with some of this stuff. Uh, as I got into the podcast, the blog kind of took a side step and, and I like to write, but I'm a better, I feel like sometimes I'm a better talker than I'm a writer. It's easier for me to talk than it is for me to write. But, um, but so we had that going at, at geekoutonline.com, but I would encourage if you got a minute someday, you're just super bored, go back through the archives of geekoutonline.com. You can make fun of me in a bazillion different ways. There are all kinds of spelling errors and, and typos and stuff that I never went back and checked. I was never one of those guys in school who double checked their work. A lot of people, I remember like when we, <laughs> like when we had the test where they're like, you know, you'd hand out the test and then you went and took it and turned it in. Um, I was always one of the first people done. I was a super fast test taker, but I never went back and checked any work. I never checked my answers, never made sure that things were done right. 
might have missed a few because of that, but um, but I was done before everybody else. So there you go. It was like a race to me, um, and I and and that's carried over into my in my grown up life. I do something, I get it done. I'm like, all right, it's done. I don't have to look at it again. Turn it in, hit send, whatever the case may be. And uh, here is a uh, here's a life lesson from that. Maybe, just maybe, we should all slow down and double check our work. How about that? You weren't planning on life lessons from Geek Out Loud, but you got one. I just smacked you upside the head with a little bit of reality, a little taste of of life lessons from Steve, you know, and that's what comic books always do. You're just reading along. You're reading about the Fantastic Four trying to stop Galactus from eating Earth, and all of a sudden, before you know it, boom, morality tale. It's not a Star Trek The Next Generation thing where they're fighting the Borg one episode, and the next episode it's all about Worf's first day at school or his son's first day at school. What is that? What? I mean, I don't. I know this is a safe place to geek out, but I got to tell you guys something. I, after all the Star Trek talk we've done lately, I've gone back and continued. I picked up where I left off with Star Trek: The Next Generation, and I'm watching along, and I'm watching, and there's some stuff there. And look, you know, it's not my favorite. I'll admit, but I, but I kept watching, kept, you know, I was just watching along. There was some cool stuff with Spock. That whole two-parter with Spock on Romulus, really cool stuff. You know, you're into some, some, some intergalactic warfare, you know, tensions on the brink, just all you people that hate the politics in Star Wars, you'll love, or the, you know, I know you hate Star Trek if you hate the politics in the prequels because the politics in Star Trek so much worse. But anyhow, you got Spock on, and it was just cool to see Spock interacting. And he's like, and he tells Picard, he's like, you, you're mine, you're cowboy. How did he say it? Uh, Picard said something about this cowboy diplomacy will not stand. And he's like, you remind me of another captain of the Enterprise. And Picard, 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 Picard. <laughs> Sometimes when I start stuttering, I just make weird noises. Uh, Picard says, uh, I'll take that as a compliment. Anyhow, cool, cool two-part episode. And there was some other stuff that was just really space adventure you know. And they had their moral lessons in there and everything. But it was just really cool. And then, boom. Worf's son comes to the Enterprise, and now he's in his first day of school, and he's lying and stealing little models of lizards. What? I cannot imagine being someone who was watching this back, and they'd be like, oh, I cannot wait for this episode. It's all about Worf and his son. It's amazing. Just can't imagine it. Just can't imagine having been there. So, um, you know. (laughs) So there you go. Anyway, running my mouth about all that and um and and saying all that to say this. Let's uh let's jump into some emails. in the old email bag let's start uh well let's start with matthew marks our featured patreon supporter of the episode he says hey steve just some thoughts on guardians of the galaxy after listening to your review episode i love your theory that starhawk is pete's father i'm reading the original guardians comics at your recommendation i'm really surprised i didn't think of starhawk when pete's mom talked about him being made of light 
and with James Gunn saying something about whether it makes sense that Yondu's there. Did the original Guardians come back in time from the future and then Yondu goes rogue or loses a memory or something? I don't know. I can't wait to see what Gunn has come up with. You know, I was uh, when I realized that the Yondu in this movie wasn't the Yondu that I knew from the comics... Um, I just kind of sat back and I said, how do I, how do I get a no prize on this? And no prizes back in the day in Marvel comics, people would write in and they would, um, they would point out mistakes that the writers would make and then they would explain them away somehow and they would be awarded a no prize. Uh, the editors on the, and all this took place in the, in the letters columns. And I'm like, if I were going to write in and get a no prize for this Yondu thing, how would I do it? And I'd be like, well, Yondu was an honorable man for blah, blah, blah. But the way I see it is he's of the same species uh, that Yondu in the future is, and Yondu's probably just a common name. So why can't there be another Yondu down the road? And that's kind of how I uh, I explained that away until I read that <clears throat> about it making sense with Yondu being there and that sort of thing. It lets me know that they sat down and they really thought about, hey, if we're going to just throw Yondu in there, it can't just be kind of a nod to, oh, there was this other comic that they really wanted things to make sense. The more I found out about this James Gunn guy, and I'll be honest with you, don't know a lot about him, but the more I found out about him through interviews and, and, and stuff I've heard, especially uh, Batista was on with Chris Jericho last week on Talk is Jericho, and he just had great things to say about the guy. And I've heard nothing but good things about the guy. And then knowing his creative process going into this thing, I like, I, I like the cut of his jib, as they say. Number two, he says, it was awesome seeing Cosmo. He was originally introduced in a Nova issue during the series that ran concurrent to the Annihilation Conquest in Guardians of the Galaxy. And then in Guardians, he was chief of security at nowhere. He and Rocket didn't like each other. Rocket said that a talking animal gave him the creeps. <laughs> I do enjoy that Rocket's not quite self-aware. Excuse me, water break there. Uh, and not quite self-aware as to what he is, but yeah, I was stoked when I, it took me a second because I'm not as familiar with the new guardians as I am from that 90s stuff. You know, you guys know me, I'm stuck in the past. And, um, and, it, and, and when it clicked, I was like, oh my Lanta, that's Cosmo, the Soviet dog. Uh, three, he says the Adam Warlock car cocoon, <clears throat> carcoon, cocoon will never grow older and will never die was originally seen uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that is, at the end of Thor The Dark World in the Collector's Collection. Apparently, in the post credit scene of Guardians, the cocoon can be seen in the background open. I haven't read any of the Infinity storyline, but I'm familiar with Adam Warlock and the Magus from the Annihilation Conquest series in the 2008 Guardians of the Galaxy. Adam Warlock was, as I recall, he was more of like a space android that was imbued with some kind of spiritual, mystical space powers. I don't know. He was always a weird one to me. Um, and a lot of people are saying that he could end up being the father of Peter Quill, Star-Lord. I, you know, I don't know. And that could very well be the case. They might not want to mess with any more of the original Guardians. And that's fine if they do, if they go that way. Um, and it, you know, and it could tie very much into the Infinity Gauntlets because Adam Warlock was very key in the original Infinity Gauntlet storyline back in the 90s when uh, Thanos got his hands on the Infinity Gauntlet and wanted to wipe out half the universe as a present for Lady Death. Uh, she wasn't very impressed, though. Intriguing. Intriguing. One of my favorite things to come out of that whole Infinity Gauntlet storyline was the crossover stuff. And uh, there, for some reason, the Hulk got sent back to Earth as a teeny tiny little guy, and he, and he comes upon the Abomination and ends up just getting on the Abomination's shoulder and acting like his conscience. And uh, without the abomination realizing it's the Hulk there, it was this, this fun story. 
uh, and it was during the time when the Hulk was uh, what they call now the Professor Hulk, where he was supposed to be, the origin that Peter David wrote was he was an amalgamation of Bruce Banner, the Gray Hulk, and the Green Hulk. Um, they would later kind of retcon that with some stuff um, saying that it was just one aspect of his personality, that there are hundreds, literally hundreds of Hulks locked inside the psyche of Bruce Banner. Um, and some of them very scary. Very scary, guys. Very scary. Um, we need to talk Hulk one day. I, you know, I've never really done a full-on Hulk episode. And, uh, and, and maybe one day I will because I think it would be really cool to jump into the evolution of that character through the comics. You know, because you start with that Kirby Stan Lee Hulk who's, you know, for, for all that they created, sometimes the dialogue was a little bit sketch. And uh, and the Hulk, you couldn't really get a beat on how smart or not smart he was. And then as you go through those first six issues, it's it's really kind of interesting to see what happens as Bruce Banner begins the process of trying to cure himself and everything. So that by the time, um, you know, Tales to Astonish gets going really good, um, it was Tales to Astonish, right? Or was that Journey into Mystery was Thor, Tales to Astonish was the Hulk and Submariner. And... Um, it, that that you know somewhere in there he he went into the baby talking Hulk you know Hulk smash and all that good stuff. So um, anyhow, I'm rambling on about the Hulk, but later on when you bring Doc Samson into the mix, you end up with this whole idea of getting into the Hulk psyche. They talk about it being more of a of an overblown multiple personality disorder. Bruce Banner takes over the body of the Hulk at some point. They get split up at some point. They're merged back together. The Gray Hulk shows up. They're doing the day and night kind of change thing. Um, then as that starts to go the way, you know, gets a little weird and, and things start to kind of fall apart there. Uh, Bruce one day gets so mad he lets the Green Hulk out. And then you really go on a mind trip for the next few episodes as they deal with that. And there's a point where the Green Hulk and the Gray Hulk are fighting inside Bruce Banner's mind. And on the outside, he's literally part Bruce Banner, part green, part gray, just kicking his own butt. It's like that. <laughs> it's like that scene in Liar, 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 Liar. Why can I not talk tonight? <clears throat> Unique New York. New you, you Look at that. Oh, my Lanta. My Lanta. Hold on a second, guys. <laughs> Unique New York. You, rubber baby buggy bumpers. Hello, rubber baby buggy bumpers. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Unique New York. All right. It was this uh, thing like in Liar Liar when Jim, Jim Carrey is in the bathroom and he likes beating himself <laughs> up. And the guy comes, what are you doing? He's like, I'm kicking my own butt. And, uh, and that's kind of what was happening in that Hulk. Anyhow, I've gone off on this big Hulk tangent. It'd be cool to kind of go through the evolution. For me, maybe not for you guys. I probably just bored everybody to tears. Um, but uh, how did I get there? Oh, the Infinity Gauntlet storyline. Six-issue storyline. It ended in a in a really, not really anticlimactic, but kind of interesting way as, as far as what they did with Thanos at the end of that. And it totally set up for him to come back later, which he eventually did. Uh, and they launched a whole bunch of Infinity titles off of that. Of course, it was the 90s. And so, you know, if, if something made the least bit of money, they would milk it until they were losing money on the original idea. Um... Marvel, that is. That they being Marvel. Um, 
He goes on, Matthew does, he says, that's all I have to say for now. Maybe I'll have more to say if and when I see it again. It's just hard to get out to movies now that I have a youngling. We've decided that we'd make it a point to go see Star Wars, Marvel Cinematic Universe, and The Hobbit right when they come out, but everything else have to rate to wait until Redbox. Keep on geeking out, and may the Force be with you. And that's Matt Marks, featured supporter this week. Logan chimes in. He says, congrats, Steve, and the whole Goliverse family on reaching 100 episodes. It was an awesome show with incredible guest, uh, James Arnold Taylor. I'd love to say I've been there from the beginning, but I think I joined this party somewhere around episode 10, maybe a bit earlier. Yours was the very first podcast I listened to, and it led me to so many others. Your mention of Kevin Smith's Modcast and what would become Rebel Force Radio got me to those shows, as well as Shoe and Skynex and everything you've been a part of. Well, thanks, Logan. It's been good to have you along, man. But it also led me to a film podcast, which eventually led me to writing for a film website, filmdispenser.com. And as of earlier this year, starting a podcast of my own, Loose Staples, a comic book podcast, www.loosestaples.com. Every week we talk all kinds of comic-related goodness and try to maintain a positive attitude while we do it. And that's certainly the biggest and best thing I've learned from listening to you for the last several years. Well, thanks, Logan. You know, I fell off at that. Um, I will catch an attitude quick. Uh, The snark and the cynicism that is very inherent in me comes out in a big, bad way. Um, so I'm glad a little positivity has um, rubbed off on you, and uh, and I appreciate you you being with us all these years, man. He says so. Thanks for 100 episodes of Geek Out Loud, along with the other countless hours of entertainment you've given. Uh, he wow, that's nice. You, mm-hmm. um, I'm hoping for hundreds more because seriously, I'm 26 episodes in and I have no idea what I'm doing. Everything I know, I learned from listening to you. Well, I tell you what, if you've gotten 26 episodes in, then you probably need to go start learning from someone else. May I point you in the direction of Rebel Force Radio and two professionals that do it well. Um, Listen back to, look, Derek Russell in college was more of a pro than I am now. And so I would just, I would say, pay attention to people who are, who are way more talented than I am. Um, so that's Logan. He says, I'm a guy. I had to throw down there an email in an email ages ago. You called me she slash her LOL. Logan, that's because I also know another Logan uh, who I know through the podcast world who was a girl. So obviously I got you confused with her back in the day. And I apologize for that, sir. Will never happen again. Our good friend Red5 chimes in. He says, hey, Steve, just got through listening to Goal 101 where you covered Guardians. I wanted to run something by you. At the beginning of the movie, Peter is faced with his mom who is dying. Since she, since the means of her death are not important to the plot so much as that Peter lost his mom, do you think the creative team who made the movie decided to make his mom resemble Moondragon? I immediately thought of her when I saw the mom. Um, I, I'm just going to give a flat-out no on that. I think I think what we're supposed to get from that is, is cancer. Um, I, I don't know that there was any... And I could be wrong. I'm, I'm just saying for me personally, I... You know, I know that the proclivity is when you see a, a superhero movie like this and you're wanting to throw in as many Easter eggs as possible and you see someone bald, you know, you would go to Moon Dragon. I just don't think that's the case. Uh, he says, I would recommend you the service of Marvel Unlimited. I, like you, had to curb my collecting, but this app allows me to keep up with what is happening for less than $100 a year. I believe it's just nine ninety nine. I just finished reading the 25-issue run of The Guardians from the mid-2000s, and I've read the first 8 to 10 issues of the most recent run of Guardians. All of this is on the app. There's a six-month delay in getting most recent issues, but otherwise it's worth the money. I'm currently reading through both Avengers and X-Men. 
to try to get current with them, and this app is also a big help for that. Thanks for all the great shows, and that comes from Red5. I've not checked out the Marvel Unlimited service. I may have to do that on your recommendation, sir, and I appreciate you pointing that out to me. Um, Will West has a question. He says, hello there. I have a question about the whole Disney owns this, Fox owns this, Columbia owns this deal. With the appearance of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in the post-credit scenes of Winter Soldier and the picture of Comic-Con of them from and the Avengers, they've got me wondering. Obviously, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are X-Men characters, but are they? And Quicksilver was just used pretty heavily in Days of Future Past. How can Disney legally do this? Are they going to pull a Thrawn trilogy and say, no, that's not Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, or do you think they somehow acquired the rights or made a deal? Or there's some technicality loophole in the contract somewhere. I would love nothing more than for all the Marvel superheroes to be owned by Disney, especially Wolverine. I'd love to see a Wolverine and Hulk movie. Yeah, me too, buddy. But unfortunately, I don't think any company is willing to budge. I was not a fan of either of the new Spider-Man movies, and I don't see how Columbia can hold on to him much longer. Well, all they have to do is just keep making stuff with him. I mean, that's that's the nature of these contracts that that were drawn up, as I understand it, years ago is that as long as you're, you've are you got something in development with these characters, these rights will not expire. Uh, Spider-Man, particularly, you I mean, and I know it goes way back to 2002, but in 2002, Spider-Man was a huge, huge moneymaker for Columbia and Sony Pictures. And the idea um, that it was so big then in Spider-Man 2, I think even bigger, I'm not sure, you know, I haven't looked at the numbers, you know, I, I could Google that for you right now, but I think it's too early for a segment called Let Me Google That For You. I know that both of those movies were huge money makers for Sony and Columbia, and, and I think the idea that they have is there's money to be made here. Uh, the times are a little bit different, and now that Marvel Studios has come along, I think what people expect out of certain superhero movies is a bit different now uh and what they will uh accept is a little bit different now than what it was even with brian singer's x-men um in 2000 uh and but spider-man was special man that that first sam raimi spider-man was something special and even with its flaws you know even with uh, a lot of people criticize the green goblin saying look like a power ranger and you know when you, and when you look at Willem Dafoe and what he can do with his face and, and just how evil he can look and how contorted he could make it. You do wonder why they didn't maybe go for some kind of prosthetic mask and try to resemble more of the Green Goblin from the comics. Um, but you know what? That's neither here nor there. The point is it made money. And so they're still trying to go to that well and they're going to continue to do so as long as this character makes money for them. I You know, the truth of the matter is, is Spider-Man is in my opinion, and I think most people's opinions, for years and years and years, was Marvel's biggest superhero. There was no getting around it. I think Iron Man changed that a little bit. Tony Stark, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark, and, and what Marvel did cinematically with Iron Man. Iron Man was not, you know, he was he was big in the comic books. If you read the comics, you knew who Iron Man was. There was never any doubt. But when it came to I iconography um and this is kind of a preview of where we're going later on the show you know marvel never got to where dc did they had spider-man and they had the hulk and i think those were really their two most iconic characters for the longest time outside of just comic book readers you know x-men came along in the 90s with that cartoon a lot of people dug on that cartoon and really got into it 
but I don't think they ever achieved the iconography that Spider-Man did in the mainstream. And with the advent of Iron Man in, in the cinemas, you had a situation where the world was immediately aware of Tony Stark and Iron Man and loved this character based on what John Favreau and and uh, and Robert Downey Jr. did with this character and what and what the writers of that movie. I mean, there was so much that came together just right for that movie. And and so, you know, and I think that was also. I think this is also 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 also. Hello, welcome to the try also also. It's a great dish. <laughs> Sounds like it sounds like some kind of Asian dish. It really does. Uh, I'll have the also also with a side of uh, you gotta get a word cream cheese wontons with that, please. Yeah, and I'll have a bowl of wonton soup. And uh, oh, does lo mein come with that? Also also with lo mein. That'll be great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just some chicken fried rice for the kid. Thanks, thanks. What was I saying? Water break. Um, I think that there might have been, once they realized the success of Iron Man, I think Marvel intentionally started to put a lot of emphasis on the character of Iron Man to, you know, market him in a way where he would be as popular to the general public as Spider-Man. And I think that's worked. I really, really do. Um, you can't deny the popularity that, Marvel sent the Marvel Cinematic Universe has brought two Marvel characters who heretofore were not really well known in the mainstream. I think Guardians is a perfect example of that, but uh, Iron Man more subtly so. Um, and so I don't see Sony ever not developing something with Spider Man just because there's money to be made there. And if they hit the right formula, you know, 10 years down the road when they reboot again, if they hit the right formula, and it could listen. Just because the first two movies for a lot of people have been underwhelming, and and, the, and I love the Amazing Spider-Man. I, I I thought it hit all the right notes. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, they brought some of the technology from what had already been done in the previous three Spider-Man movies, and made it work so well, and it looked so good. Um, I love Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker. I loved Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. Uh, I think Sally Field as Aunt May just works for me in, in a, just a really cool way. And, you know, they really could, with the next couple of movies, hit a stride that we don't expect them to hit. Now, the foundation isn't there as much as I think I'd like it to be for a Sinister Six movie and a third Amazing Spider-Man movie. But you never know what could happen. It could be just outstanding out of this world. It, you know, I, you never want to discount somebody when they go back to the well. And so, um, anyhow, your question wasn't about that. My Lanta. Um, <laughs> uh, he goes, um, so any, you, you said you don't see how they can hold on to him much longer. He said, however, I think the success of Days of Future Past secures the X-Men's future as a 20th Century Fox franchise. Again, um, you know, you got to give X-Men credit, that franchise at Fox credit for uh, bringing the superhero genre up out of the ashes. Spider-Man really kicked it into high gear, but X-Men was the movie that said we don't superhero movies don't have to be Batman and Robin. You know, Batman and Robin hit in the late 90s, and a lot of people act like, oh, it was there, it was the end, it was, superhero movies were dead. It was only a few years, you know. It was 96 when that came out, I think, so, 
you know, 96 to two, about five years in there where, where people were kind of thinking, well, this won't ever happen. This can't be a thing. And, um, boom goes the dynamite, you know, with X-Men and, and Brian Singer and company really showed that you can put a good team out there. Now, if they went back, if, if you could go back in time to 2001 or 2000 or a little bit before and say, Hey, look, sir, I know that you want to put these guys in black leather, but look what's going to be happening down the road. They're not, people aren't going to really shy away from costumes so much anymore on screen. Why don't you be the first? to really try the leather spandex. And I'm not saying I didn't like the black leather uniforms on in the X-Men. They were cool to me. They were fine. But I'm just saying that, you know, but what they did show in that, and then and then with Smallville, quite frankly, coming along, there's still place for superhero movies when they're well-written. And there's an element of fun to them. You know, and gosh, Christopher Nolan's Batman, the world went crazy for Batman. Batman Begins is an outstanding, outstanding movie. Honestly, uh... When Batman Begins hit, it was I was like, gosh, this I don't know that a superhero movie, an origin story, can get much better than this. And I don't know that it has. I really don't. I'm you know, just thinking through what we've gotten since then, I don't know that there's been an origin story um told as well as the one told in Batman Begins. Uh The Dark Knight was, you know, of course Heath Ledger, the late Heath Ledger, is is a big part of the success of that movie. Um but the dark knight was so solid on so many levels you know and um but i i just think that uh going back to your original question here and talking about this stuff you know 20th century fox is going to hold on to these things and continue to turn out x-men properties as long as they can as long as they're making money um you want to see fantastic four do well at fox just so you can get a good fantastic four movie there's been a few behind the scenes pictures that have come out um, you know, they, they finally showed us kind of the thing model, you know, a maquette, if you will, the thing that apparently was used on set as an eyeliner, eyeliner as for an eyeline, um, looks good, looks good, you know, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see because they're obviously going to digitize it, you know, not, it's going to be CGI. It's not going to be a man in a suit kind of situation the way the other fantastic four was, um, the Doctor Doom thing looked weird, and so I don't know if that was a product of something that was going on in the story, or if it was something they were just they had on there that they're paint over digitally. Uh, they've obviously spent a lot of time on the mask to make it look good. I don't know. I, that's one of those things that Fantastic Four for me is a wait and see, man. It, it's one of those things. That, but Fox will hold on to those now. Anyhow. <laughs> To the Scarlet Witch Quicksilver question. To my knowledge, I could be, I don't, you know what, let me Google that for you. Because I want to say um, that Scarlet Witch and um, Quicksilver, I know that, I don't know if they were introduced in the X-Men, but both of them have been Avengers. And, and so... But I can't remember if they showed up in the X Men as part of uh, as part of the 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 Brotherhood of Evil Mutants first or what? Um, 
let me see here. First appearance, X-Men 4. All right, there you go. Uh, but here's the thing. There's something in the in all the contract, contractual stuff where, um, where with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, they're fair game for both franchises. Um, and... And so the diff- the thing is, the key is in the Avengers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel Studios, they can't use the term mutant. So these two are not going to be mutants, and we may not get a full-on how they have their powers story. It may just be we were born with it, or it may not really be addressed at all. So I think it'll be interesting to see that. And I'm trying to think, you know, when you start talking about what we've seen Pardon me real quick while I go down memory lane with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've had Iron Man. We've had the Hulk. The Hulk is a super-powered individual. There's definitely something super-powered about him. Thor is is from another realm. He's from Asgard. Uh, Captain America was given the super-soldier serum. Um, and he... And though... See, the thing, he's got some superhuman strength about him, a little bit of superhuman speed, but nothing nothing on this huge, huge scale. He's got some great agility, super good fighter, that sort of thing, but it's not this overly super-powered scale um, for him. It's almost like they brought him to the pinnacle of human perfection with that super-soldier serum. So in the Marvel Cinematic Universe... To my knowledge, now, as I'm thinking about this, there haven't been any human beings outside of the Hulk introduced who just have superpowers. The normal people with superpowers. Think about that for a second. You know, uh, where, where, you know the origins have all been, I built some armor, there was a, I was injected with, <laughs> you know, well, Tony Stark says everything special about you comes from test tube. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying... That's the case. I'm rambling here because I'm trying to make a point that it's going to be interesting where Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver fit in to this team and how they're accepted. You know, and especially if we don't get an origin story. So it's going to be interesting to see how they're treated and how they're used. Um, But see, that's the key. That's one of the keys about Marvel is Marvel always had this anyone can be this person kind of thing. You know, um, you put on the mask, you could be Spider-Man. You put on the armor, you can be Iron Man. And we've seen that in the Iron Man movies. You know, we've seen him put the Iron Man suit on Pepper Potts. We've seen uh, Rhodey step into War Machine. We've seen, um, you know, Bucky, you know, come back in Winter Soldier and, and kind of have similar abilities and similar in a similar situation as, as Captain America, that sort of thing. So... It's interesting. It's going to be an interesting thing. But there's just something contractual, and it's not really a loophole. It was something that was intentionally put in there. Um, and, and so it works out so that they can have Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in both both things. Um, and he asked one more question. You know who has the rights to Mephisto? And do you think we'll see him in a future movie? I guess he and Doctor Strange would probably be in a movie together. So do you think Disney has the rights? I don't see that's the thing. I would love to just have a list and see where all of these characters are. Because Mephisto's another one that I'm not sure where he came from originally. Where he was originally introduced. And sometimes, and, and other than like Ronan 
And like the scrolls are with Fantastic Four because they were introduced in the Fantastic Four, but so was Ronan the Accuser <clears throat> introduced in Fantastic Four. So it's just some, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what, um, I don't know what standards they use is what I'm saying to figure out who goes where. And I've never heard anyone mention Mephisto, but you're right. He'd be a great fit for, um, for, for a Doctor Strange movie. Uh, Adrian chimes in and says, uh, what'd you think of Deep Breath? He's talking about Doctor Who. Peter Capaldi, he says? He says, did you get to go to one of the screenings? No, I'm nowhere near where anything like that happens, so I would never get to go to one of those screenings. He says, I was really worried that it would just be Bad Grandpa in space, but it was brilliant. He goes on with some spoilery stuff about, uh, Doctor Who, the, 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 uh, the season premiere of Doctor Who. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I'll read those. He says, it seems that the doctor will be traveling to places he had old adventures so he can fix his past mistakes. He did say something at the end where he's like, I've made a lot of mistakes and I want to rectify that. I didn't, I didn't read that as he's going to go try to fix old mistakes, but rather he's going to devote the rest of his life now to getting past those mistakes and, and, and not revisiting and making the same ones. Uh, Adrian throws in, I'm liking to, I'd like him to fix Torchwood Children of Earth and save the Torchwood team that died and then go kick the butts of the 456 aliens that used children as drugs. That series was way, way too dark and lacked any hope. It was weird. I guess he should also fix Torchwood Miracle Day as well, as it was just bad. Bad, horrible series that lacked all sense. But I digress. I salute you, sir. Thank you for all the podcasts. And that's from Adrian. Uh, I have had the opportunity now... To watch both Doctor Who, both, both episodes so far that have aired of Doctor Who. We'll talk about that in a little bit when we get into some snippets. And finally, uh, Curran chimes in and he says, Steve, let me apologize right at the start. This email could run long. Only read it when you have time, but do read it on the show as I would like to have others hear what I have to say. I've been listening to Goal for a while now and I hear the same things come up time and again. And while I like your Let Me Google That For You segment, I'm not really a fan of the new one. It's called What DC Did Wrong. Also, I'm not here to bash Marvel. I am, however, well-versed in the DCU, but not Marvel. The only Marvel arcs I've read are Avengers Disassembled, Civil War, Captain America Reborn, Fear Itself, the first appearance of Malekith, and a bit of Marvel Now. I've read a bunch of DC stuff, however, which would be too long to list out here. Now, about Man of Steel, you argued that Snyder should have shown Superman save civilians instead of just fighting Kryptonians. Recall that he saved a soldier as he was falling through the sky. Also, the main reason Zod died was because he had his heat vision set on the cornered family. How much more in-your-face saving do you need? All right, let me qualify what I was saying about that situation. When you watch Superman the movie, way back... And I know, look, we're not supposed to compare it to Richard Donner. I'm I'm not saying that. When you watch Superman the movie, we get scenes of Superman actively doing things to help people individually. In the midst of stopping that earthquake at the end, he saves a busload of children. He stops that train from going off the tracks. Um, You know, even between the time that after he does the whole helicopter thing, he gets a cat out of the tree, for crying out loud. He stops a robbery. He does some Superman-type stuff, all right? And and look, a lot of people are going to make the argument that Man of Steel was his first day on the job. That's fine. So was Superman the movie. I'm just saying... When they had their fight in Metropolis uh, in Superman 2 with Zod and the Kryptonians, you know, his big concerns of people. So he runs off to the Forge of Solitude and gets them to chase him, you know, so that 
they can get the fight away from the people from being hurt. In Superman Returns, while everything is going down, before he goes out to fight Luther and everything, he um, he does the whole going through the city stop, and they just and what they do, what they did is they use this stuff to put on display all of Superman's powers. You got to see all of his powers at work in those moments: the heat vision, the the super breath, the speed, and you got some really glorious moments there. All right, now look. Also, I want to make I want to make one thing clear. I like Man of Steel. Okay, when I'm saying things critical about that movie, it's I'm saying it would have been more well received by the masses had these things been present. I'm not saying this was a terrible movie, and I and I apologize for not making myself clear on those things. My personal big issues with Superman with with Man of Steel is the shaky cam. The cinematography I did not enjoy. I loved Krypton. The casting was amazing. Um, uh, here, Karan goes on to say, I also understand if you don't like the suit. It was too dark for me, too. I like the suit. I love the S. I like the look of the suit. The only thing about the suit to me was, in the pictures we saw beforehand, was was the fact that those red trunks that everyone made fun of for Superman wearing his underwear over his, over his tights, the same way that Batman always did in the comics... Um, you know, that same look, those red trunks really tied the whole thing together. <laughs> that was my only criticism of that suit. I, and it wasn't even a criticism. It was just something I kind of joked about. I love the suit. The cape was amazing. The casting in that movie was perfect. He, he mentions, uh, the, the family that, uh, Zod died because his heat vision was set on the cornered family. Again, um, you know, that's a scene that if you break it down, can Zod not move his eyes back and forth? And two, tuck and roll, family. Tuck and roll and get out of there. You know, and that's the other thing. As I was watching the, in the movie theater and, and watching again on Blu-ray, I can't see how they could not escape. I can't see how they didn't just tuck and roll and get on out of there. You know, um, I, I, the destruction and stuff that everyone started talking about was never a problem with me. And when I say showing, showing Superman saves civilians, I don't mean one soldier falling out of a plane. Or falling from the sky. I mean, like going through and 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 diverting himself from the fight to, you know, and almost causing himself. That's his weakness. You see, when there's no kryptonite around, that's his weakness. Is that he's going to remove himself from the fight to make sure that these people are okay. And I was just saying that's why the destruction in the Avengers was probably more well accepted because you saw Captain America do some things to actively save civilians. You know, you saw their faces. So, I again, it's not... I'm not saying, oh, this movie was terrible and this is what DC did wrong. I'm saying... The only thing I'm saying that they did wrong was not hold that camera steady. Done. I'm not a fan of the way Jonathan Kent died. That's a whole different discussion. Okay. But that is what it is, and so in the in the in in that movie universe, I accept that. So uh, I lo- I love the suit though. Uh, he gives some things that may be considered spoilery for Batman versus Superman, but I do want to say this. He says, and though you say DC should go the Marvel way first in, by introducing their characters, I feel DC would get bashed for copy- copying Marvel because it's just it's DC and Marvel did it first. Uh, it's good they decide to do a Justice League and then branch out. You know what? You could be, you could very well be right, and I think it's just a matter of the quality of the movies they put out. Um, 
you know, X-Men didn't start with the origin of Wolverine and the origin of Professor X and the origin of Magneto and then bring them all together. X-Men started with, here's the X-Men, you know, and there's a quick thing in there. Here's how they came together. Here's what Professor X did to bring them together. Um, what Marvel has done with the Avengers and with tying their universe together and that sort of thing is unprecedented. And, uh, you know, and people would criticize. Um, but when, understand that, when I were make when I was making statements like that is because I was so excited to see this on a DC level. And so that's that's where a lot of that's coming from. Um now he now he does go to a place where I've been critical of, of, of DC movies. He says you say DC is trying to be cleverer, I say smarter than its source material. He says, Can you really say that when Marvel Studios has altered so many origin stories? The changes DC has done to their characters nothing compared to the changes Marvel has done. Bucky never worked for Hydra. Hydra could never infiltrate S.H.I.E.L.D. Donald Blake is a thing, and Tony did not create Ultron. Honestly, the only DC movie I haven't liked is Green Lantern, and that was because of the plot. Instead of, te- instead of teasing the Sinestro Corps and showing Parallax, they should have done the opposite. But Marvel has just as weak villains as Green Lantern did, with the exception of Loki, Red Skull, and the Winter Soldier. Ronan, Malekith, and all these characters start out as such B.A. villains and in the end get bopped way too easily without much development because Marvel would rather have their jokes in their movies than flesh out their villains. And I want to stop right there and I want to address this. Um, Marvel has altered the origin stories, but the heart of the characters and things are still there. No, Buffy didn't work for Hydra. But the the entity of Hydra is is present in Marvel Comics, and it's and it made sense because this is a this is a an organization that has always been at odds with Shield, and it makes sense to say what have we got in our arsenal because we're you know the Cold War stuff we can't do necessarily the way that we that we could have done it. Tony Stark didn't start out in in the Middle East either. You know the original Tony Stark was a, it was a Vietnam situation, you know. But you update these things, Captain America maintained his World War II origins, but instead of waking up 20 years later, like he did back in the Avengers comic uh, in the 60s, he, he's waking up 70 years later. And so, he's much, and so that alters the character's take on how he's interacting now in, in, a, in, a, in a different way. But the essence of that character is still there. They're, they're not overthinking what they're doing to the characters. They're just taking these elements. Tony Stark not creating Ultron Point Karun. <laughs> that's one of those. I mean, I'll be honest with you. That's one of those. I got to wait and see how it plays out, kind of thing. I, I, I was, you know, when I heard Age of Ultron, I was really hoping that um, that they would be introducing Hank Pym in Avengers, and that his, you know, and it would be kind of that thing, and then that would roll into Ant Man. But they're not doing it that way. And I don't think it's being smarter than their source material. It's taking their source material and saying, now, how does this work? They're being inspired by their source material and saying, man, this all works so well, but here are our limitations here and now. Let's fit that into there. And that's not being uncreative. That's being creative. And I'm not sure how things worked in the Ultimate Universe if Ultron was ever a thing in the Ultimate Universe. Because understand, you're dealing with two things in Marvel here that they're drawing from. They're drawing from the classic stuff, and they're drawing some from this Ultimate Universe stuff. So it's, uh, you know, I, but I don't I don't see that as being smarter than their source material. I see that as, as working things, working, you know, what, 40, 50 years history into a two-hour movie, you know, a series of two-hour movies. Um, 
As far as Green Lantern, you know, man, Ryan Reynolds was so charming. I didn't like what they did with the suit, but I got past that, you know, because every Green Lantern had that thing going on with it. Um, you know, I can't put... I think that what they did... I honestly think that the, the fall of Green Lantern was trying was too much too soon with that. The whole concept of Parallax is pretty big, and... And it's and it's kind of hard to comprehend what's really going on there. Um, I do think it would have been better to to do things. I mean, they had Sinestro train him and all, and and I'll, that's another one. That I don't know what fell flat there, and I and I've watched it again and just really trying to figure out. You know, is this movie not as good as as I thought it was? You know. Um, and and so I again I'm not I just want to repeat I love Superman and I like the Man of Steel I just want him to hold that camera steady. Uh, he says my first DC movie was Batman Begins. Needless to say, I love the Dark Knight trilogy, including The Dark Knight Rises. Carl for the win. I don't have a problem with the voice. I don't have a problem with the voice. Honestly, I don't know anybody hated it or Nolan until I started listening to Gold. Now listen, hold on a second. Which voice are you talking about? You talking about Bane? Let's not stand on pretense, Mr. Pandur. I just because I'm having fun with something doesn't mean I hated it. And I think that needs to be key. I have fun with Star Wars stuff all the time. You know, we'll we'll make Star Wars jokes and um I don't know if I do that much on goal. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the the thing is is just because I have fun with something doesn't mean I'm making fun of it. And I want that to be very clear, you know, and I apologize if it's come off that I'm making fun of it. I dug the Bane voice. My only problem with the Bane voice is the way that it was mixed into the sound. And again, that's a technical thing. And they did that so that people could better understand what was being said. But um, but other than that, I, I dug the Bane voice. I it, He was behind a mask. I like the, I like the timber. I like, you know, Bane in the comics, I believe, was like a Latin American and... And he wasn't into Dark Knight, but I don't care about stuff like that. That's like saying, well, the King Ben was white in the comics, but in the Daredevil movie, he's Michael Clark Duncan. That doesn't matter. How how was the character on screen? He was great. He was great. I I, I liked what they did with Bane. Um, and I in the Batman voice, I never minded that much. Um, I feel like Nolan. I feel like if Bale would have known that he was going to be doing so much dialogue in in the in the ensuing movies as Batman. He probably would have uh, would have chose a different way to go with it. In Dark Knight Rises, there's a moment where he's standing there and no one's around, and he still talks to the Batman voice. I don't understand that. Okay, I'm gonna have fun with it. I let it go. You know, I I pick on Carl and know what I'm saying about how did he get back to Gotham. I don't care how he got back to Gotham. You know, and the fact that he took time to to do that gasoline kerosene whatever bat on the side of the bridge. Doesn't bother me one bit. I love that visual. I love that moment. That's the kind of stuff I love in these superhero movies. Dark Knight Rises, though, falls apart for me in some ways because of the characterization of Bruce Wayne going into hiding as Bruce Wayne for eight years after Rachel died. That's in the comics, that's not how it works. Just read Dark Knight Rises or The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, and you'll see that he can't get rid of the bat, you know? And, um, and, and that he and if you read any of the comics and you know this Corun because you've talked about how much DC stuff you've read, he retreats into the bat 
more than he retreats into Bruce Wayne. And that's been my criticism of The Dark Knight Rises. He said, now you had someone on the show say they hated knowing his movies and that he made audience feel like they'd seen a better movie than it actually was. That wasn't me. He said, I feel that way about the Marvel movies, not the hate part. I love Marvel movies, but the latter half about these movies feel better than they really are. Marvel doesn't give most of their individual movies good plots, and it's usually all about building towards the next one. People get carried away in their hype for the next movie and all the Easter eggs they've seen to really ponder what they've just watched and how the story isn't that great, while everything else is, like the costumes, casting, the effects, and such as. I've seen all of Nolan's works, and I never deviate my attention while watching a Nolan movie for fear of losing the plot. Memento, Inception, The Prestige, these movies require your utmost concentration. These aren't your typical action or drama movie where you can do other stuff and still go back to watch the movie without losing the plot. And I'm really excited for Interstellar. Interstellar looks very intriguing to me. That was Eris who talked about Christopher Nolan. Eris Schoenweiss. I, you know, I've not watched Memento in a long time. Um, and the fact that I haven't revisited let me know that I enjoyed it, but I didn't care enough to revisit it. I've not watched Inception since the first time I saw it. Um, and I don't know why. I don't. I, I did not, not like that movie. I've seen The Prestige multiple times. I love The Prestige. I think The Prestige is outstanding. Um and that's one of those I go back and watch and try to figure out who's who and when's where and, and what's what because that is such a that is a well-made, well-told story, just a great movie. Um, and, and so, yeah, so I understand that I'm going to... And the thing is, is, is like, it's not... Whenever I have an opinion, I'm not saying this should be your opinion either, you know? The, the thing about geeking out is let's talk about our difference of opinions on things and, and go there because I, I don't want it to be lost. And I guess this is what bothers me in, in this and in the other email I'll read in a moment or I'll read parts of in a moment is I feel like it's been lost to just how much I love Superman and how much I enjoy Batman and how much I love the, the medium of comic books and comic book movies. You know, you're talking to a guy who will defend Batman uh, forever. Yet I love Batman forever. I, I want to be a guy who will defend Batman and Robin, but I can't, you know, I mean, I just can't. Um, I can defend it as a, as kind of an homage to the, to the sixties Batman, but the sixties Batman is so much better than what Batman and Robin is to me. And we'll talk about that in a minute, you know, a little bit, but the, the what I'm saying is, is, is when it comes to, when I talk about DC being smarter, trying to be smarter than the source material, it, it's almost like, and, and I shouldn't say DC, I, sh I think I should say Warner Brothers. It's almost like Warner Brothers is still a little bit ashamed that these are these comic book properties. Because you need to understand that for years and years and years, before even before I was born, th there was a time when it wasn't okay to be a comic book writer. It wasn't, you know, the cool thing. It wasn't accepted. And for years and years and years that, you know, and you've even heard Kevin Smith talk about it with his whole Superman thing when he was going to go write the movie for Warner Brothers. And they're like, well, they have their thing and we have our thing, talking about the comic book stuff. That it took someone like Richard Donner and Tom Mankiewicz and Mario Puzo to go sit around and talk and read DC Comics and talk about DC Comics to come up with a Superman movie like they came up with for that time. I don't know that Superman the movie would hold up today given even the same actors but with the same plot and, and everything else with some updated effects and all I don't know that that movie I don't know I, I don't know and and I can't distance myself enough from my love for that movie to, to, to make a call one way or the other that'd be an interesting discussion to have with someone who can distance themselves from that movie enough you see 
Um, I know this. When I go back and I, and I revisit Superman Returns, that I am just struck at the cinematography and just how beautifully shot that movie is. The story falls flat as it's trying to be too much of a, a of a throw up to what Donner had done and in kind of a kind of a sequel, but also kind of a, an homage and kind of a remake and kind of a just some different stuff. And 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 I don't know that even though there was a vision, I don't know that it was the right vision for the time. That's fine though, you know. It's a beautifully shot movie, and I love Brandon Routh as Superman. Did not like Kate Hudson as Lois Lane. Loved Kevin Spacey as, uh, is it Kate Hudson? It wasn't Kate Hudson. It was, uh, oh, my Lanta, whatever her name was. I didn't like her as Lois Lane. Uh, loved Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. You know, I, it, to me, that signified that, you know, here's this just to reintroduce you to this character in this world, and, and, we'll, and we'll have something so much better coming down the pipe. But that was never to be. Uh, with Man of Steel... It seemed like everything was there, and I just left, you know, and I and go back and listen to my initial reaction. And you need to understand, I love the movie, okay? I absolutely do. But I also come and look at, and I, and I don't know that the Marvel movies make you feel like they're better than they are. Because isn't that what it's all about, how you feel when you leave that thing? I agree that people get a little too hyped on what's coming next, you know? But when I go back and watch these Marvel movies, I don't sit there and think, "Oh, well, this is just a vapid, empty piece of a piece of a movie that's just getting ready for the next thing." I, I dude, I tears in my eyes in the first Thor movie when when Loki shows up and, and Thor's in in prison at Shield, and Loki shows up and lies to him and tells him that Odin has died, and Thor is just—I mean—in that moment. Had Thor been able to step away, I think he may have been able to pick that hammer up or move it just a little bit because it's in that moment when his world comes crashing down, when he's finally humbled, and he looks at Loki and he says, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, that broke me. I had tears in my eyes watching that moment. That's how that movie made me feel, you see. And I, and I think that all the stuff of what's coming next, what's coming next, I love that stuff. Listen, I love it, man. I loved reading, when I was reading comics back in the day, I loved getting to the end and, and like, oh my gosh, and, and just, I would stare over the next time and I would try to understand what they were saying about, you know, in, in next issue, this happens, this happens, this happens, and just kind of imagine where is this going to go and what's going to take place. And that's what I do. That's a part of the fun of these movies. And I want to say there's nothing wrong with movies being really fun. You see... And if you relate to them somewhere along the way, and if they make you feel something, then that matters. That matters. Amazing Spider-Man 2 has a lot of flaws. There are a lot of problems with Amazing Spider-Man 2. But let me tell you something. At the end of that movie, spoiler alert, when Spider-Man shows up to face down the... uh, When Spider-Man comes down to face the rhino and that little boy standing there that little boy is so inspired by spider-man he goes out to stand down the rhino and spider-man says step aside spider-man i got this what i felt erased any issues i had with that movie because i felt in that moment this is amazing no pun intended i loved it i it was so good to me but that doesn't that doesn't stop me from 
from looking back at that movie and saying, well, here's what was wrong. Here's what should not have. Here's here's what should not. Here's what didn't work. And here's you know, and if I'm saying here's what didn't work, it doesn't mean I'm I'm dumping on the whole thing or dumping on that moment. You see, and I think that's the problem. And, and and the thing is, is as you're talking about, and we'll get into this in a moment as well. When you start talking about Marvel or DC, suddenly you get into that age old battle. You get into that age old thing, and that's and that's kind of where we're going. And then I need to clear up something here too. Uh, just one last thing. It pains me when you say you left DC when you saw Superman and Wonder Woman kiss. I'm reading New 52, and let me tell you something. This isn't a relationship between Superman and Wonder Woman. This is a relationship between Clark and Diana. It's well-balanced, and it works. Look, I'm not talking about the New 52. I'm talking about John Burns' Man of Steel way back in the 80s, sir. <laughs> I'm talking about 11-year-old Steve picking up a comic book. 11-year-old Steve picking up a comic book of the superhero that he loves, flipping to the back, Seeing that splash page of those two embracing a kiss, not having a clue of what's going to come next, not having really a clue of what had led up to that moment, and just saying, as as only a a comic book geek in his infancy could, well, they totally don't understand Superman. I'm never reading DC again. That was me as a child. You see, the Superman Wonder Woman thing now, I don't. That's fine. I don't care. I don't I don't say that flippantly. I'm just saying like that doesn't bother me now because I understand storytelling and 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 such as better these days. You see, and so I, I want you to understand I, I have I, I guess I wasn't clear on that. That was eleven year old Steve that did that and said that. Well, I'll talk about how I got back into DC in a moment and 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 that sort of thing. But it look again, understand I love Superman. I like Batman. Um, I I can go through on my shelf right now, and there are DC movies, Marvel movies, DC directed DVD stuff, DC television shows, Marvel television shows, bootleg stuff, the JLA uh, the JLA pilot that didn't go anywhere. But I'm still like, wow, this is this is an amazing little chunk of history right here. You know, you go through my comic book collection, and it's littered with both Marvel and DC. And um, I just love superheroes, and I'll say that a bazillion times before this show is over. Um. He says, it's well-balanced and it works. Talking about the Superman-Lois Lane, or a Superman-Wonder uh, Woman relationship. I've never been one of those Lois is made for Clark people. Also, Robin Rises and Grayson are ongoing comics. Um, so, uh, he, he gets into spoilers there that I won't get into. Um, he says, you got to read Superman Doomed. He's taken over by Doomsday, and the mental con- conversation between Clark and Doomsday is so much fun to read. Uh, and read Forever Evil. It has a whole Villains Month. There's also a new series called The Multiversity that I'm looking forward to. Grant Morrison, I think, is writing some of that. And uh, he says the Andy Monitor has been teased. I am That looks intriguing to me. Um, he says, sorry for the long rant. These are things that have come up again and again on goal, and I feel the need to defend DC since nobody else does. Also, I agree that Thor is not a superhero name to pass on, but an individual's name. Dick Grayson could be Batman, but he can never be Bruce Wayne. See, Kandur, you get it. You get it. Why doesn't anyone else? Now, I mentioned earlier, and I'm going to have to edit some stuff. I, I, I want to say this because I went back and forth an email with Matthew Ibarra on, on some things. Matthew Ibarra. Um, and, and my point as, as, as he came about with, with what he had to say was he opened his, his email by saying he thought I was drinking too much of the Kool-Aid uh, and, it's getting in my hair, and it's getting in my head. And I, and I don't know if he meant like, know what I'm saying, Kool-Aid, but I took it to men as like pop culture Kool-Aid. Like I'm just kind of 
listening to what everyone else has to say and and not taking my own opinions. But now as I'm thinking about this, I think he he was making a joke about you know what I'm saying Kool Aid, Ecto Cooler. So from now on, if you if you're writing me an email and you mentioned me drinking Kool Aid, just say Ecto Cooler instead of because there's too many other connotations with that. Um, and he gets into a lot of stuff with uh, with DC and, and and Marvel, and he makes some of the same points that Kinder made. Um, and and he makes a couple of others because he he talks about it. He talked about in our emails, and, and I don't want to get into all of them, but he talked about how Marvel stories are like other movies. You know, you could say, well, this this movie is like Thor is like Hercules. You know, the Disney Hercules movie. Iron Man three is like Frozen. Um, uh, the uh, not Frozen. Um, the Incredibles. Um, you know, all this stuff we've seen online where people are making jokes and that sort of thing. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier is like a Tom Clancy movie. Can I just tell you that when Dark Knight came out, all I heard was this is like a crime drama. One of those great crime, like Heat with, with, with Batman and Joker. You know, this is like um, this is like a Dirty Harry movie with Batman and the Joker kind of thing. That's what, that's what I kept hearing around time. So I don't, you know, I, look understand and i and i need to make this clear because obviously i've not done a good job obviously i'm not as funny or as well spoken as i thought i was okay i love superheroes and i love superhero movies if i see something wrong with something i'm going to point it out i mean that's just all there is to it if i'm gushing over something it's because i'm gushing over something because i just had so much fun because i felt so good when i came out of it you know i've i've not given the warm response to days of future past that a lot of people have because i was just a little bit underwhelmed by it you know it, it was a it was it was a lot going on for not enough it, it x-men is one of those titles that always seemed to get a little preachy for me and 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 seemed to be kind of pretentious and full of itself sorry i mean i listen i know the x-men are much loved and that's where i kind of fall down on a different spectrum than a lot of other people do and um and but i like the x-men i'm not anti the x-men and and I'll buy that movie when it comes out because I want it to be in my collection. I'm a completist that way, you know. So that's that's all I'm saying about that. I have I have Batman and Robin on Blu-ray for crying out loud. Anyway, um, that's our emails. You can email us at geekoutonline at G- that, wow that went on for a while there. Geekoutonline at gmail dot com. Geekoutonline at gmail dot com. <laughs> Hey folks, I'm Jason. And I'm Dan. And we're here to tell you about our podcast, Flicks. Flicks is a podcast that reviews the biggest movies hitting the theaters, such as... Captain America, Winter Soldier. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Amazing Spider-Man. Godzilla. Dolphin Tale 2. What? No, why would we review Dolphin Tale 2? The first one had Morgan Freeman in it. Morgan Freeman works with Batman. Anyway... We don't only cover the latest, we also cover the greatest. When there isn't a blockbuster hitting the local theater, we're talking about some of our favorites from the past. Movies like The Goonies. Star Wars. Featuring Steve Lawson. Gremlins. Terminator. National Lampoon's Vacation. The Last Airbender. Dude, no one liked The Last Airbender. You did. Stop derailing the promo. (sighs) Now, why should you listen to our show... Out of all the other movie review podcasts out there, because we really do love the movies we talk about. And because every couple of years, Steve Glosson comes on and talks Star Wars. Seriously, dude. Hey, know your audience. Fair enough. Listen to Flick's podcast. 
because we know Steve. Snippet time, just a few snippets really quickly. Uh, first snippet, uh, this was a revealed to me on the episode of the Big Honkin' Show last week when we had Buck on that I don't think has been posted. Has it been posted? I don't remember. Someone let me know if that's been posted. Absorbing Man is coming to S.H.I.E.L.D. Crusher, Krill, Oh My Lanta. Y'all, he's in my top ten favorite supervillains of all time. Marvel.com. Uh, has an article says Crusher Creel to menace Marvel's agents of Shield. Carl Crusher Creel, known to Marvel fans as the Absorbing Man in the comics, will bring his unique power set to Marvel's agents of Shield with the season premiere Tuesday, September 23rd at 9 p.m. Eastern on ABC. With the news, we've also got your exclusive first look, and they do Brian Patrick uh, Brian Patrick Wade as Creel, and it's beautiful. It is he's. <sighs> he looks the part. I am so stinking happy about this. A lot of people would say that this dude is like a second tier character. Uh-uh. This guy is one of my favorites of all time. And um I uh I just I'm excited. That's all there is to it. I'm I'm on board with Shield. Uh, in some DC TV news, Ra's al Ghul is coming to Arrow. Uh, and in an interview with MTV, Liam Neeson said he'd do it in a heartbeat. They, he said he hasn't been asked, but he'd go be Ra's al Ghul in a heartbeat. I love Liam Neeson's Ra's al Ghul. I don't know if it's the right fit for Arrow. I think that uh, too many people would be quick to com- to uh, connect the universes of the Batman Begins of the Nolan Batman universe to to, to this arrow, and I think that uh, they're trying to set up a completely, of course they're trying to set up a completely different universe, but I think it's so cool that Liam Neeson enjoyed being that character so much, and it's a cool interview uh, that he does, because he talks about committing to the character and really believing, you know, the fact that Ra's al Ghul really believes everything that he tells Bruce Wayne, that he really thinks that cleansing, uh, the way that he wanted to cleanse Gotham and society is the way to go, and um and so it's uh, it's 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 really I just like it when people are are in roles like that that mean a lot to us as fans, and they want and they're willing to go back to them. That to me, that's a cool thing. You know, when they're not like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of hearing about Raz Al Ghul. You know, the fact that Liam is oh, I do in a heartbeat. I love that concept and that idea. Uh, Snippet Doctor Who has kicked off this season. We're two episodes in. Quite frankly, I like the first, or I like the second episode better than I like the first. Uh, the first episode I've watched a couple of times, thanks to good friend Rich, and um, and it was, you know, it was what it was. It was it was introducing Peter Capaldi's Doctor, and um, in much the way that uh, David Tennant did it, and, uh, and um, Matt Smith did it, he wasn't in his doctor regalia till the end, you know, and, and what his uniform, if you will, will be. Um, but it was funny. There was some good stuff between him and Clara. I like the fact that um, he doesn't have that emotionalism that Matt Smith brought to the table. He's a much, he seems to be a much harder man. He feels like a very old school doctor just from what i've watched of some of the old old doctor stuff where there's a little bit of sternness to him um 
you know, there's a moment at the end of the first one where she hugs him. He's like, I don't think I'm a huggy type person. She's like, that's okay. You don't make the rules. You know, I, I like the idea that, and, and then some of the stuff he says in the second episode to some of these people, I'm just like, that's cold, bro. That's cold. But at the same time, it's him just trying to make sure they're snapped and, and they stay in reality and, and know what's going on. Uh, there were some moments in the second episode where he reminded me a lot of House, um, which makes me now want to see Hugh Laurie as the doctor. But no, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I'm really interested to find out more about this Missy character and see what kind of machination she has for the doctor. I, obviously, she's going to be the big bad to kind of end things. And, and is she amassing an army? Is she, you know, is she. It seems like she's amassing an army, you know, just from two episodes, but you don't know. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see where it goes. I'm on, I'm on board. I'm on board with this season of Doctor Who. This is something I thought was really neat. Marvel is releasing a box set uh, of hardcovers called uh, Famous First. It's um, in celebration of their 70th, 5th, their 75th anniversary. 75th anniversary. I feel like they're cheating a little bit on that. I think they're going back to the timely comic days, but that's fun. That's fun. Um, and uh, and it's a collection of ten of the Masterworks hardcovers, um, and and a few other things that are coming in this box set. And it's uh, it's a box set that's that's done up to look like the old Avengers Mansion. And there's some artwork on it and that sort of thing. And and the uh, the spines all come together to form a picture. It looks really cool. Very expensive, though. I looked at it uh, somewhere, and it's, oh, my Lanta. Too much for my blood, ladies and gentlemen. But it, it would be it would look cool on your bookshelf if you have the opportunity to pick it up. It's available September 3rd, uh, Marvel's Famous First. It, it'd, be, it's, it's good re- it'd be good reading for you, uh, especially if you're into the origins of a lot of these characters that we've come to know and love from... Um, from from the from the movies and such as uh it comes with a alex ross print signed by stan lee so uh it's really it's a really cool set um it's spider-man i'm looking at spider-man avengers captain america um trying to see just from some of these pictures what might be there i think there's some x-men in there um the hulk just the masterwork series and it just looks really cool bright colorful it's just it's really a nice set, and uh, and it's you know, like I say, if you've got if you've got a few hundred bucks to spiel on it, I would encourage you to do so. It'd be a nice addition to your collection. Um, and finally, all the rumors going around that Joaquin Phoenix uh, is in talks and in final talks uh, to play Doctor Strange. I say, why not, man? Uh, why, why not Joaquin Phoenix? He's, uh, he's proven himself, I think, as a great actor, acting, and, um, and, and I think he'd be interesting for the role. He's got a good look about him for someone like Dr. Strange. I'd like to see him with that, uh, that whole mustache and kind of small goat going on, the, the graying temples. Um, that's an interesting property to me. I, I, I'm going to be interested to see that. Of all the Marvel animated directed DVD stuff they did, when they were trying to get in that game, um, I enjoyed Planet Hulk, of course. And uh, there was a Hulk. There was one that was like Hulk versus Thor and Hulk versus Wolverine. 
that was a two disc or two movie set thing it was okay the hulk versus wolverine was more about wolverine than hulk uh the hulk versus thor was pretty cool um but the doctor strange was actually really good and if you if you can find it and have a chance to check it out i would encourage you to do so um so that's our snippets let's get into what we came to talk about that age-old battle of the ages is that redundant i think it may be we're going to talk a little bit in depth some marvel versus dc and i think it's going to be fun Yes, sir. It is an age-old battle, man. This is like uh, this is like some of those great rivalries of the past. Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper, Georgia versus Florida. That's you SEC football. Oh, the SEC versus every other conference, college football conference in the nation. <laughs> Marvel versus DC. Now we did something um, on Facebook today. I, I I reached out on Twitter and asked everyone to head over to Facebook and answer a quick um, quick poll, uh, taking into account all of the mediums, not just the movies, not just the comics, not just the TV shows, but all of them. Uh, where do you fall, Marvel or DC? People still answering this. A uh, hundred and forty-four responses on this on this post and I've not tallied every single one of them but as of before we started recording here's what I here's what I came up with this is amazing to me ladies and gentlemen uh there were 11 who said both uh there were 56 Marvel 57 DC so uh I don't know if it's still that close with uh, all the extras that have come in 11 56 plus 57, that's 113, plus 11 is 124. Um, so with 20 others, I don't know if it, if it's still that down the middle or not. Um, and I don't know where I started or where I stopped to, uh, to get there. So um, literally split right down the middle. And, and that's kind of, the to me, the cool thing. Now, here's something you didn't know. We're about to do a giveaway here on Geek Out Loud. To everyone who answered the, the question and everyone who... Um, who 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 posted here on this thing? I'm going to I'm scrolling up and down. I've got my eyes closed. I'm scrolling up and down on the on all the comments and everything. And wherever my mouse ends up, uh, we're going to give away a set of exclusive Star Wars Celebration six uh, buttons with artwork by Jedi Schwa, Joshua Stolt from Techno Retro Dads. Uh, they look great, and uh, you'll be getting a full set of them. And and those are those are quite rare. These are fan-made items, but they're they're really cool looking, and um, and and they're a great thing to have. So I'm I'm I've been I've been talking with my eyes closed. I'm scrolling up and down, and I'm going to stop now. 
Lime Allen. Lime Allen says, Marvel, I was a Marvel guy in the 80s and 90s, and while I've been very excited about the DC New 52, I have to say Marvel is still tops. My favorite character, though, is Captain Marvel. Shazam! Go figure. Uh, so, Lime Allen, get in touch with me. Send, us a, send me a direct message um, at Facebook. Send a, send a message to the Geek Out Loud page, and uh, we'll get those things in the mail to you, sir. And uh, thanks for answering. Thanks to everyone for answering. Uh, just real fun idea uh, for me and uh, to do this because here's the thing you know so many times when we get into our little things about um, about the stuff that we love you know whether it's Star Trek versus Star Wars um, gee with Buffy versus everybody you know whatever the case may be when we get in this stuff it's like we we feel like to choose one you have to kind of crap on the other but that's not the case you know the case is for me I love superheroes and both of these companies for years and years and years and years have provided in mediums from comic books to radio back in the day to movie serials to TV shows to feature films, to cartoons, to direct-to-DVD features, right back around to comic books, to novels. They have provided so much content as it pertains to these characters and these superheroes that I absolutely enjoy, and I love jumping in to their world. Now, I've told the, I've told the story earlier, and I've told a million times about choosing, a Mar choosing Marvel as a, as a budding comic book collector, all right? And so I'm not going to revisit that. Um, and the truth is, is that once I went down the Marvel path, I really didn't look back. My cousin Jason, who's been on several of the shows, he got into some DC stuff doing, um, uh, doing some JLA, uh, and, uh, this was when they were based out of Detroit. I think that crew and that sort of thing, uh, he was, he, he would do some of that. I, I barely gave it a glance because I was so wrapped up in the Fantastic Four, um, some of the Avengers stuff, Thor, Hulk, uh, Spider-Man a little bit here and there. See, I didn't even really collect Spider-Man that big. He wasn't, it was hard to get my hands on Spider-Man around my little town that I was in, but I would collect him here and there some. Um, I really focused in on the Fantastic Four and the Hulk and uh, some Avengers stuff, like I say. And, and, and then I would, it depended on who was in that comic. My, my resources were limited. You know, and, and a lot of times, the only time I had money was during the summer when I was cutting grass. And so I would use that money, uh, especially when we were at my grandmother's house and there was a, a bookstore that sold a lot of comics nearby. would go to that bookstore and pick out comics and I would buy them based on two things. Number one, if it was a current issue, who was it? Was it a title I like to read? Who was in it? You know, were there, was there a guest appearance by anyone that I really enjoyed there? And two, when it came to back issues, was there a story that was referenced in another story that I'd read that I wanted to read? Because back in the day, you'd be reading along and they would reference something that took place. They'd put a little asterisk up in the box and then you would look down at the editor's note and it would say, well, this happened in such and such a title, such and such an issue. And so I might go looking for those things. There was a... Um, there was a there, there was a, in the '90s there was an annual series back in the day Marvel when they would do their annuals would do a lot of times some big crossovers for a few years they did this they did the Evolutionary War they did Atlantis Attacks they did um, then they kind of broke it up and did some smaller things they did uh, the Life Force thing they did uh, Terminus and Terminus was this uh, huge like 
alien guy and uh, as i was in in and i was first aware of him in the in the pages of quasar um and quasar was a short-lived title i don't know if it was short-lived i don't know how many how many issues it went but quasar was an interesting book to read um they, they it was he was he was very much a b-level maybe even c-level character that they gave his own book to and when i started reading it man i was into it he came out sort of around the same time as like new warriors and the guardians of the galaxy titles came out they were all they all, i kind of lumped those three titles right in there together um but in terminus in that issue in that uh in that book it, it mentioned the first time he'd come to earth and it was in a fantastic four comic I'm like, i don't have that so the next time i was at a comic book store digging through the back issue bins I pulled those up, and that's kind of how I did my collecting. That's how I looked for things to find, and then I would jump on the bandwagon with new stuff. With the Guardians of the Galaxy, man, they they mentioned the first time the Guardians were ever around, so of course I went back to some of those Avengers books looking for Guardians appearances to find out more about these guys and that sort of thing. But it was 1998. I was working, maybe it wasn't 98, maybe it was 97. I don't quite remember which of those years I, I was working at a Dairy Queen. I was in Virginia at the time. I was working at Dairy Queen, and and, and this Dairy Queen was located in in like a shopping center. On uh, to our left, as you walked out the door, there was a, a supermarket, a Harris Teeter, I believe, if you will. And to the right, you went up. There was up the way. There was a subway. There were all these other little mom and pop type stores, you know, jewelry stores, that sort of thing. And right smack dab in the middle, there was a comic book store. So every Wednesday. I would walk up the sidewalk to the comic book store and, and you know, see what they had, get the new stuff that I was looking for, and, uh, you know, talk to the guys a little bit, say hello, say, come get a burger, you know, I'll trade you a burger for some comics, that kind of thing. You know, we, we got to know those guys because the dude who uh, was one of the bosses there, he was into comics. And so, you know, we'd sit around talking some comic stuff, and he introduced me to Too Much Coffee Man, and and I was like, that, okay, that's fun. I'm not into that. Uh <laughs> make mine marvel um but then one day i was standing there and i was looking on the on the new release rack it was a wednesday and um and i and i was on my break and so i walked down as i did on wednesdays and there staring me in the face is a cover and on that cover just in their heroic in a heroic pose if you will was superman batman wonder woman aquaman the Green Lantern, Flash, and the Martian Manhunter. Now, admittedly, I did not know the Martian Manhunter at the time. I was not that well-versed in DC Comics. But from all those other guys, what I saw, what I had flashbacks to was Super Friends. I, I just looked at it, and I was blown away. I'm like, this is like Super Friends for the 90s. I can't, this is, this is amazing. This is, uh, this is... They're all in one book. What is JLA number one? Picked it up, read it, hooked. They did a they did an Independence Day kind of thing. But apparently, as I as I was reading, I was reading in a Wizard magazine because that was a thing at the time, where they were doing an interview with Grant Morrison. He's like, "Yeah, we kind of done this before we ever saw Independence Day. We had this idea and we just went ahead and rolled with it." But, um, oh my gosh! And then, man. It was off and it was off to the races with JLA. 
you have people like Kyle Rayner as the Green Lantern, Wally West at the time as the Flash, and they were talking about kind of being the young guys. Wally had been around a little bit longer than Kyle, and I was like, who is this Kyle Rayner guy? I thought the Green Lantern was somebody else with graying hair, you know, gray temples or whatever, and I found out his name was Hal Jordan. I'm like, well, whatever happened to Hal Jordan? I did have the death of Superman comic. Everybody had from years ago the death of Superman comic, but I didn't realize how far-reaching that whole story went and was. And man, I started to devour DC Comics. I I went back to that moment. I said, this will be the moment in time I go back to <clears throat> to really figure this stuff out. I got into Green Lantern. I didn't really get into Flash. I got into a little bit of Batman. But man, I started devouring Superman comics from that moment forward. And that was right around the time Superman went electric blue. He got electrical powers and stuff. And I'm like, well, how's he going to get out of this one? What is this all about? And they were selling it like this is Superman for the 90s. This is it, man. Going into the new millennium, this is going to be Superman. And I read that story and, you know, read those comics, was into it. He split into Superman Red, Superman Blue, and you knew something weird was coming down the pipe. You get into the Millennium Giant storyline. All the while, I'm still collecting JLA. I'm totally digging on it. Meanwhile, what Marvel was doing wasn't really turning me on that much. They'd done this whole Heroes Reborn story, and that went on for a year. And then finally, when the heroes returned, I was into it. But they uh, they put a few writers on some titles that just didn't jive with me. Peter David, who had been writing The Hulk for 13 years around this time, was he wasn't forced to step away, but he refused to kind of do uh, some crossovers and stuff and uh, that they wanted him to do. And, and so he just said, instead of doing this, I'll wrap up my tenure and I'll go. I'll go somewhere else. At the time, he was also writing Aquaman for DC. He was writing Supergirl. And uh, man, I hated to see Peter David Peter David leave the Hulk because he'd done so much, man. And it and I had been on an emotional roller coaster ride with the Hulk in in those recent years. Betty had died, and and um, and it was just oh my gosh, it was like who killed her? What happened? How did this go down? And um, and Peter David got to write a great farewell issue that was just really intense and really interesting and. And, of course, a lot of that history that he'd kind of set up has gone gone the way of the dinosaur. They don't really worry about that anymore. And that's fine. That's fine. That's what comic books do, man. That's what comics do. But I just remember during that period being so much more into DC than Marvel. And, I mean, and I was eating it alive. It was so, so good. Um, and it started with Grant Morrison's JLA. But here's the deal. See, you need to understand something. Um, you know, I, I got back in. I got to go know some of the B-level characters of the DC Universe. I'm still not as knowledgeable about the DC Universe as I am about the Marvel Universe. I never, I didn't spend as much time there as I, as I did with Marvel. But you need to understand something. I couldn't get enough of comics in general. I love superheroes. I mean, you go back to the, really, the first two things, I guess, that I was introduced to for superheroes-wise was the Incredible Hulk TV show and the Super Friends cartoon. Two completely different things, in a way. I just knew I loved these superheroes, man. The Incredible Hulk was always one of my favorites. The Super Friends were just like all these superheroes together on the same television show, especially Challenger the Super Friends, man. That's the one I always wanted to run was Challenger the Super Friends. And then being around in a time when they were doing um, like uh, the Galactic Guardians and the Superpowers team on Saturday mornings, man, with Darkseid and all this other stuff and the, and, the, and the reworked Brainiac. Oh, I was there, man. I was there for those things. Meanwhile, on Saturdays, they would show reruns of the 1966 Batman show 
And as a kid, I completely bought into it. I, this is Batman. This is, this is totally Batman right here. I'm totally into this. And this is the Joker. And this is the Penguin. That's, that's Mickey. And he's playing the Penguin. And I buy it. You know, I knew Mickey from Rocky. Um, George Reeves' Superman. Not so much into the black and white stuff. Because as a kid, I thought, well, black and white's not cool. But the color stuff I was into, I'm like, wow, he looks like somebody's dad. From that time period, I just and and I later on in life, guys. It, look, if you've not revisited the George Reeves Superman series, do yourself a favor. Find it on DVD. It's out there. It's available. I don't know if it's on Netflix or not. Do yourself a favor and revisit, especially that first season, though it's black and white. There's some good stuff in there. There's some great moments and there's some really cool stuff uh, in that Superman series. And and I would. I oh my gosh I love that Superman series I think it's a great series I was even into it when Batman and Robin showed up on Scooby Doo you remember when Batman and Robin showed up on Scooby Doo that's good stuff guys why because they're superheroes and when it comes to superhero movies I I think you have to put in 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 and and again I mentioned earlier I don't know that I can separate myself in a clinical way um, from my love, my absolute love for Superman the movie. I, I know it's issues, I know it's problems, but there's that movie is to me what it's just a lesson in how to do a superhero movie. And the, and it's a formula that kind of was around for a little bit. You know, it's a, it's a formula that a lot of people kind of tried to stick to in a way. And and sometimes people break away from formula, and that's fine because I don't think they should have set. I don't think it should have set a formula. I don't think it was meant to. But in terms of the earnestness with which Christopher Reeve portrayed Superman, um, it doesn't get any better, you know. And Cavill, Henry Cavill, did a fantastic job as Clark Kent. Did a fantastic job as Superman. And and again, I go back to Man of Steel casting was perfect. Brandon Routh did a really good job of playing uh, his own version of what Richard Donner's Superman, Clark Kent dynamic was. But Christopher Reeve took a very serious approach to it. He's a Juilliard-trained actor, and he took a very serious approach, and he really bought in this character, and he did his homework, and he came to love the character of Superman. So much so that when you watch the evolution from Superman to Superman 2, you see him not being as bumbling and stuff as he is, so it's kind of a shock when you go to Superman three, and Clark Kent's back to being a bit bit klutzy, you know, a bit uh, a bit different. He he became more of a wallflower, but but not so much. So it, it's interesting to even hear Christopher Reeve talk about it. Superman four is is interesting to me because I'm one of the few people on on the face of the earth that give it just an absolute pass, uh, and that's all for sentimental reasons. The flaws are there, they're glaring, but the heart is there as well. And um and, and I and I feel like sometimes because the story didn't quite work out and the effect I wonder if it would be well more well accepted if the effects were a little bit better. I'm not saying it would make it a good movie, but a little bit more well accepted. But but the heart is there. The heart of, of, of someone trying to wrestle with it. What if Superman decided that he was going to do away with nuclear weapons? It's a really intriguing thing. But that Christopher, that first Superman the movie, man, they're they're just they're scenes, they're shots that just have no business in a superhero movie because they're so beautiful. 
they're so well done and um and that was my first superhero i think that you know for a lot of us in my generation that was our first superhero movie and it's the and it is the standard by which all future superhero movies are judged it really truly is regardless of if it's a different regardless of it's apples or oranges i think that and i think it's okay you know because again i can't separate myself from it clinically um another thing that was on in syndication and reruns was the 60s cartoon of spider-man and that's where um i learned about spider-man a lot of his villains really i learned about mysterio and that's where i kind of got attracted to the villain of mysterio i'd watch any superman superhero cartoons when i get them in syndication i'd be at someone's house uh spend the night and they'd have like different channels or something and they and and for whatever reason i I remember i was at a friend's house one time and i just woke up earlier than everybody else because they lived near some railroad tracks and i didn't at the time and i wasn't used to that and a train came through and it woke me up at like six in the morning so i just got up and went in their living room turned on the tv and they were showing like the old 60s Thor cartoon, the old 60s uh, uh, Incredible Hulk cartoon. They were real short, and so they showed like a block of 30 or 45 minutes worth of them. And I was just like, this is amazing. I just loved anything. I would just devour it, man. Superheroes is, is, is the way it goes. When it comes to superhero movies, I go to everyone I can. Now, there is a difference to me between a comic book movie and a superhero movie. A superhero movie is about superheroes. There are comic book movies that are characters that had their origins in comic books i don't think you know people can disagree with me if you want i don't know that hellboy is a superhero movie it's a it's a comic book movie you know it's based off of a comic i'm not saying it's a bad movie i'm just saying sin city is a comic book movie it's not a it's based off of a graphic novel if you really don't want to use the term comic but graphic novel um but it's not a superhero movie there's some weird things going on there it's definitely a fictional world and you know fictional people with some different things about them but it's not a superhero movie uh blade right out of the pages of marvel comics i wouldn't say it's a superhero movie though you see but i love superhero movies i just love superheroes i love superheroes so stinking much that and i love heroes that no one else loves and i'm okay with that man you know i'm okay i love villains that no one else loves and a lot of times the villains that people love are lower down on my list and the heroes that people love are lower down on my list than what you may think they would be for example i was as i said i was going back and, and looking at some stuff for uh for this episode um and uh the um and and i began to look through my old blog and i'd done a top 10 superheroes each each one being its own entry and uh and i was going to do top 10 villains and i didn't do the last three i never finished um let me do the villains first and i did honorable mentions my honorable mentions for the villains were red hulk at the time he was a villain and and his origin when i was writing this his origins were unknown we didn't know who it was and and so but he but i but i'd really glommed onto that guy in a way that i didn't think i would uh galactus who it can be argued he's not a villain he's just a force of nature but he's he's definitely in there honorable mention dark side a lot of see a lot of people say well dark side's my favorite um not really I, he's definitely gets an honorable mention because i like the way that he always especially in the animated universe the dc animated universe of the justice league superman first the animated series and then later on in the justice league stuff how he would just kind of bring out the meanness like he just he ticked superman off superman just could not stand this guy and he just ticked him off and he and he calls superman's reputation to be uh ruined and it's just i always like that dr octopus was only in my honorable mentions if you can believe that green goblin hobgoblin both of those in honorable mentions and the riddler was in my honorable mentions for my supervillains here are my top 10 favorite supervillains number 10 the leader 
from the Hulk series. Number nine, Brainiac. Number eight, as I said, The Absorbing Man. Number seven, The Joker. Number six, Bizarro. Number five, Mysterio. Mysterio is a villain who I don't think would be in many people's top ten, and he definitely wouldn't be above The Joker. But in mine, he is. That's just my take. I love that character. Uh, number four, The Juggernaut. And that was my last villain. I put, And I'm like, who, did, who else would I have had on that list? Who else would I have on that list? Uh, number three, I'm going to say would have probably been Lex Luthor. Maybe at the time, because I was in the middle of Smallville, he would have been number two. Um, but, uh, but right now I just went ahead with how I feel now. Lex Luthor is my number three. The abomination is my number two. And my number one favorite supervillain of all time is Dr. Doom. I, I don't, you know, Dr. Doom is someone who inspired the likes of Darth Vader. I don't think that's stretching. It's, it's pretty impressive. Um, all these villains are interesting in their own right. And, um, you know, and, and you'll notice there's some that are absent from that list that a lot of people would have on theirs. Uh, I, I feel like some people might have Two-Face or even the Penguin on theirs, and they're just not there for me. I, they never really did it for me to break into a top 10 kind of list for me. Uh, those guys didn't. Um, my superheroes that I had, honorable mentions, went to Mr. Fantastic, Robin. And I think in the blog I made a distinction to make sure that it was the Tim Drake Robin I was talking about. He was always cool to me. She-Hulk, Silver Surfer, Invisible Woman, Plastic Man, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Wolverine. Uh, number 10 was Thor. Number 9, Iron Man. Number 8, The Flash. Number 7, Green Lantern, the Hal Jordan and the Kyle Rayner versions of Green Lantern. Number 6, Captain America. Number 5, Spider-Man. And you could switch those back and forth on any given day. Um, number 4, in the, in, the, in the actual blog, I had Batman at number 3. Um, I was on a Batman high at that point, and I recognized where I was in my in my fandom at that point and uh but i have number four the thing number three batman now in my life i'd probably reverse those two number three being the thing and number four being batman uh number two hulk and my number one favorite superhero of all time is superman i just don't think you get much better of a superhero than superman and a lot of people you know and see for a lot of people and what's really funny is um What's really funny uh, to me is that for a lot of people, it's it, it becomes a Batman versus Superman kind of thing. But if you look at me, it's like my top two have nothing to do with Batman. It's Hulk and Superman. Um, and those two have changed places over the years for me. They're, they're very tight, neck and neck, as to where they stand. Um, Superman, to me, is just the epitome of what a superhero should be, ultimately, though. He is, um, he is good. You know, I, I like the fact that in Man of Steel, that S stands for hope. Um, and, um, you know, I this is what I said in my blog. I'm unashamedly a fan of Superman. I have been for years, even though I forgot that for a while. And I had forgotten that for a while. And, and again, I go and it goes back to this Marvel versus DC thing. I'd get zoned in on something. Um, the, my favorite superheroes are the ones who are heroes. You know, and Superman epitomizes and he always has epitomized this he's a hero at his very core every villain he's ever faced every evildoer to, to ever cross his path even those who claim to fight for the same tenets of truth and justice have pointed out that superman's biggest weakness is not kryptonite it's his concern for the people he's chosen to protect i think it's important to point out that superman has chosen to protect the people of the world Wonder Woman is a warrior. Batman is on a crusade. Superman would love to be able to live a normal life, but he realizes he can't sit back with all of his power and do nothing to save mankind. It can be a bit cheesy at times, and he's for years suffered criticisms because of his do-gooder nature. 
It's that nature that interests me about the Man of Steel. I've always been intrigued by a character who, who was not who 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 was not born out of tragedy. Granted, okay, Krypton exploded, tragedy. But what I mean is, is to develop into the hero that he developed wasn't because his uncle was shot and killed. wasn't because his parents were shot and killed. Um, it's because he just wants to do the right thing. A lot of people complain about how powerful Superman is, but that appeals to me as well. It's a strong individual that can wield the power of Superman and not abuse it. His immense power speaks volumes about the strength of his character. So, um, you know, and that's just, that's the, that's the thing uh, with me and Superman is, is that I like the fact that he's powerful. I like the fact that he has superpowers I, because I like superheroes. I love superheroes. You know, and the thing is, is if you look in this list, there are Marvel and DC characters there. But Marvel versus DC has been a thing for longer than I've been alive. It'll probably continue after I'm gone. And today, it's happened to bleed out of the comics into the movie universe, into the cinematic region. Because that's where most people consume stuff nowadays. You know, comic books aren't selling the way they were selling, even uh, especially in the 90s when I was collecting. But, you know, they, it's just they, they've learned to expand uh, their audience by going to where the audiences are. Nothing wrong with that. But we can't ever forget, and I think the key is you can't forget these characters have their origins in the pages of the comic books. In my opinion, it's the medium that created them, and it's the medium to be respected. This is, you, you know, I'm not saying everyone should be reading comic books, but I am saying that you can't, you know, there are people who will go to a movie and watch Iron Man. They'll go to a movie and watch the Avengers. They'll go to the movies and watch the Batman movies. And they'll be like, oh, I'm just not into the comics. Well, I don't feel like that's, you know, that's fine that you're not into them. As long as you're not being disrespectful to them. Because these are, these are things that have stood for years, for decades, man. Three quarters of a century. In the case of Superman and Batman. When you're talking Marvel versus DC... You look at both companies have had their fair share of mistakes and missteps. You know, you you can you can talk about um, you know one versus the other in a broad. But if you start getting specific, man, I mean, Clone Saga from Spider Man. Anybody? I I don't know if you remember the mid '90s Clone Saga or not. Um, I don't want to. I don't. There's some good in there, you know, but it it got too big and it got a little too out there, you know. They they tried to do a thing where uh, Peter Parker was a clone. All, the Peter Parker we'd come to know and love was a clone. I think it was really kind of the first attempt at trying to brand new day it, you know, by saying this was a, a, a Peter Parker clone that, that had lived the life that we'd come to know uh, Peter Parker to live. Um, Secret Wars 2. Look, Secret Wars, the original Secret Wars, one of my favorite crossovers of all time, but Marvel tried to go back to the well again. Secret Wars 2, The Beyonder Comes to Earth. One of the most uncomfortable stories I've ever read was that last issue where he goes and, and lets himself be born without powers and uh, just comes out naked and starts running around. <laughs> but I mentioned earlier the Electric Blue Superman stuff. There was some good stuff there. Um... When he split into red and blue, it got a little bit kind of weird and cheesy to me, you know, with the differences in personality and all. Um, then they were joined back together, and Superman Forever was kind of disappointing to me. One of the greatest pieces of cover art ever it was a lenticular cover done by Alex Ross, and I have a poster in my home of, of uh, it was a, a promotional poster with that Alex Ross art of, of, of Clark Kent grabbing his glasses, ripping his shirt, and then the last thing you see is like the, the blur of the boots flying off. 
and that's what the lenticular cover did. And um, and I felt like Superman came. I think he came back like in the first page, you know. And, and I was just like, oh, come on now, we can do better than this. But um, it was a little bit disappointing. But it was great to see him come back. Uh, Azrael Batman after Nightfall was over. I know they were headed somewhere else, but man, uh, there were a lot of people up in arms about that. That was that was not uh, great. Both companies suffered from the pre-bagged holofoil syndrome in the '90s, where there'd be you know you'd have to buy two so you could open one and get the little card out, or you know you three different covers. One had a hologram of this, one had a hologram of that, and one didn't have a hologram at all. Um, you know you you go to the well. And that's what they did, man. And 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 printing fifty books of three characters, you know, you know, three different characters have four different titles each, and uh, on top of the crossovers and the team ups, and and recently, man, that's what comics have really become about is is what's the next big crossover, and that's on both sides of the fence. DC, I think, has pulled back from that a little bit, from what I understand. Marvel has continued to press forward with like more crossovers. And that began to be frustrating with me as a comic book reader because I'm like, just calm down. Let me, let me read what I want to read and don't mandate that I have to read everything that you're putting out because that takes away the fun of it. Um, when I was reading comics, all these stories were self-contained and, and a crossover was special and it meant something. It wasn't just the expected thing of the year. Uh, again, don't know if DC's doing that, but they were for a while, man. Uh, you jump into, you, you're talking going from uh, Infinite Crisis into... Uh, Lord, uh, between Infinite Crisis and Final Crisis, there were 50 different things it seemed like. And the, oh my gosh, Blackest Night was ridiculous. Over in the Green Lantern books, you had Reborn, Rebirth, uh, <laughs> the Sinestro Corps War, all this stuff. And there was some good stuff in there. I'm not saying it wasn't good. I'm just saying it was too much. It was too much having to buy everything. To, to, and then on top of that, it wasn't just that they, you had your main title, like, let's say, Secret Invasion, all right? Let's say when Marvel's doing Secret Invasion, which to me was a very intriguing story. Um, but not only would you have Secret Invasion, you know, the, the, the limited series, 1 through 12 or whatever it was, you'd have the Secret Invasion logo over the Avengers title and the Avengers Initiative and the West Coast Avengers and the East Coast Avengers and the Great Lakes Avengers and... And then you'd have like a special three mini series arc in Spider Man Secret Invasion, Fantastic Four Secret Invasion, and it's just like these aren't in the in the in the numbering system proper. They're just extra books that you have to buy, you know, to to get these side stories. And it just seemed to uh, to get a little get a little out of hand. Um, on the cinema front, you know, quite frankly, DC will always kind of have the "We Did It Right First label. Um, and until all the properties of Marvel Comics are at Marvel Studios under the, you know, Disney and Marvel Studios, cinematically, DC has the most potential for all of the amazing we can see on a movie screen. You know, that's... If I come across disappointed um, at any of the DC movie properties, it's because I want them to be so good. I want them to be... I want to feel what I felt when Superman <laughs> kneels before Zod. Now take my hand and swear eternal loyalty to Zod. And and you just hear that trumpet start up and just you you hear the bones cracking in Zod's hand and oh, oh you know oh I just that moment to this day is one of the greatest superhero moments in cinema history and they they got some of that in the Batman stuff. 
uh, with the Nolan Batman. Um, uh, and yeah, I'm not here to, I'm not dogging on the DC stuff, but beca- honestly, because of the shaky cam, I feel like there were some of those things that were missed. I, I wanted to see Clip- Krypton more clearly in Man of Steel. You know, I wanted to, oh my gosh, that last scene where, where Lois looks at him and says, welcome to the planet, that's, that was a feeling. When she says, welcome to the planet, and he's like, thanks, Lois. That was a feeling that I wanted to be evoked so many times in that movie. It, when when he takes off for his flight, oh my gosh, his first flight was so good, so good. Until there's a weird part in there where it's kind of a close-up on his face. I feel like they cheated on some of the flying effects, you know. Hopefully in, in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, we'll get you know, some more graceful flying from Superman as he kind of learns more and more to control it, that sort of thing. Um, but anyhow, um, you know, I just, I think DC, because they do have all those characters under the same umbrella, they've not been franchised out, they've not been contracted out to any other, you know, distributors. Man, there's so much awesome we could see. So much. You know, Marvel going bankrupt and having to do this to kind of stay afloat back in the 90s is one of the things right now that, you know, this is why we won't see Spider-Man in Avengers movie. And this is why it doesn't seem like we can we can get the things we want to see from some of those bigger characters. Television-wise, DC seems to always score when Marvel only hits a few home runs here and there. The Incredible Hulk series is one of my favorite things of all time. And, um... And... I still to this day love it. I, I don't know that it holds up necessarily, but from a uh, from a uh, from just a nostalgia standpoint and, and the fact that I, I love and have always loved that series, I still love it. Lois and Clark, it's there for a couple of seasons, you know, and then it kind of falls off. Uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends was a fun cartoon. There's a lot of neat stuff in Spider-Man. They do a lot of different characters in Spider-Man and Amazing Friends. That was always my thing. I love to see all the different characters show up. Uh, but, man, Super Friends, greater than Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Straight up serious business. And can we just be honest and talk about Batman the Animated Series? Perfection? I mean, straight up serious business. Does it... From a from an animated on TV standpoint, does it get any better than Batman the Animated Series? Now, I love Superman the Animated Series just as much, and I love the Justice League and the Justice League Unlimited. It's all spins out of the success and the perfection that was Batman the Animated Series. Um, quite frankly, uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Avengers, which was a great co- cartoon, Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes... I think it suffered from someone's ADD, whether it's Disney animation or Marvel's animation staff. I don't know who made the choice of, well, let's just do two or three seasons and we'll go with something new. Um, and I also feel like they, they're not producing, Marvel's not producing the direct DVD features that they did while DC seems to keep rolling them out. And though not everyone is a home run, by and large, there's some great stuff in there. And quite frankly, I feel like DC has like the big story arcs to play with in these things. Um, those those big event moments, like the Dark Knight Returns, um, really like Superman Doomsday. I'd love to see 
a multi-part. They did it with the Dark Knight Returns. I'd love to see some type of multi-part DVD release of an animated Death and Return of Superman thing and have all those characters in there, man. Uh, all those different forces. Do, do the Death of Superman, the Reign of the Superman, you know, and then the Return of Superman kind of thing, like a trilogy. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be so good. But ultimately, it's not about how the companies do business. You see, that that's the thing. We can get into the business side of things left and right. It's not about how they do business. It's about how much I or you enjoy the characters in any medium, whether it's movies, comics, or otherwise. I've said that time and time again, as it was mentioned in email earlier, I feel like I feel like DC and Warner Brothers is trying to be smarter in their source material. I think Grant Morrison summed it up great uh, when he was uh, recently on The Nerdist. And, and basically what he said, I'm paraphrasing here, is he, he's like, these characters aren't real but they keep trying to make them real. You know, you you can't have mythological legends and then try to humanize them too much. And that's the thing. I've said it as well. I, I, I used to, this was kind of my mantra in the late 90s, is Marvel has heroes, DC has legends. And you can't escape that. You can never escape that. Spider-Man will never be Superman. Captain America... Or I'll say this, Daredevil will never be Batman. You know, uh, Captain America will never be Superman. I love Captain America, but he'll never be Superman. Thor will never, you know, Thor will never have the popularity and, and, and the the legacy, if you will, of a Wonder Woman. It's just the way it is. And I'm okay with that. Marvel has heroes. DC has legends. And... And if I could be honest and say that, you know, if you go back to this whole cinematic thing, I feel like they're trying to chip away at the legend sometimes and do things the Marvel way when I feel like they should be doing things the DC way. How's that? Hmm? How's that? And it's not because I don't like DC. It's because I love DC. Because I prefer one to the other currently in some form or other, it doesn't mean I'm throwing away one to lift the other up. It just means I'm on a superhero movie high that I hope doesn't end anytime soon. I heard some, I read a tweet the other day when there was a lot of news coming out of Comic-Con about the different superhero movies and stuff. And they were like, all right, is anyone else getting superhero movie fatigue? And I'm like, no, not at all. This is how I consume my superheroes now. This is, I love this. Show me more shows like Arrow and Flash on the CW. Make it a superhero network for crying out loud. Don't be afraid to do that. Give me more shows like Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter. Man, give me that Hulk show that they were rumoring, you know, that Jeff Loeb and, and uh, I think uh, Guillermo del, del Toro were working on that sort of... Gosh, give me that. Please. I'll take it. You know? I'll be in the theater to see Batman and Superman on the same screen together, and I hope it is, it's as great as I always hoped it would be. But if it's not what I want, that's okay. Comics are not always what I want. They haven't been. And if it's not what you want, that's okay. There will be another one. If it's not what anyone wants, well, then it's Green Lantern. Am I right? Am I right? Huh. <clears throat> know what I'm saying? Seriously, though. At least it's not Star Trek. What? What? I thought he wasn't going to do that anymore. I'm kidding, guys. Got some kidding. So where do I come down on this thing? You know what? I was trying to... I honestly was. And this is a cheat. I'm going to straight up say this is a cheat. I, you know, when I put that poll up on, on Facebook, 
I didn't expect it to be so evenly. I, well, I did expect it to be that evenly split. I was kind of glad it worked out that way. There were 11 people who just kind of said, I can't choose, or they they just kind of basically gave the merits of both. I got to tell you, I come down as, as a guy who's like, I love it all. I love them both. I don't, you know, there are going to be times in my life where I'm like, Marvel's doing better than DC, and DC's doing better than Marvel. That's fine. That's okay, man, because keep it keep it going. Keep it going because to me, as long as as long as we have these heroes there, you know, to to protect us, not to be weird, you know, not to not to not to make it strange, not to make it weird, uh, but as long as we have those heroes here to protect us, then then that's what matters to me, you know. That's that's what I love about this thing. I just love I've said it a bazillion times. Just love superheroes. I just love superheroes. And the more super they are, the more I love them. So, with that being said, I ain't going to say can't we all just get along. But come on, guys. Come on. Can't we all just have some fun? And if what you feel... When you're watching one of these movies, if what you feel when you're reading one of these comic books makes you feel good, makes you feel some hope, makes you feel like, you know what? Humanity can be better. I can be better. This inspires me to create something. This inspires me to write a story. This inspires me to make a costume. This inspires me to draw one of my favorite characters. This inspires me to get on a microphone and start a podcast about something. This inspires me to create something different this inspires me to do more than just sit around then go for it man then 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 the legacy of these characters is not well i think superman and batman if they ever fought batman would win because he's so much smarter than superman i don't it won't be that the legacy of these characters will be because i enjoyed this so much i wanted to create something like it it inspired me to do something and that's ultimately what they're meant to do, I think, is inspire, to encourage. So Marvel, DC, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter. As long as we're having fun, man. As long as we're enjoying, as long as we're not so married to these things that aren't real, that we can't take some criticism of them. I think what really matters in the end is what are you doing for yourself? What are you doing to inspire others the way these characters have inspired you? All right. With that, oh, I have a story. The other day I got onto Twitter in a conversation with a guy named Jonathan Bell, great listener, good friend of the show. He was referring to some comments I made concerning the Incredible Hulk movie and how I think Marvel should consider revisiting it based on the fact that it wasn't really a quote-unquote flop. He tweeted the gold Twitter account, at Geek Out Loud, with some information. I countered with some information of my own. He countered with information of his own. It became this thing of, like, the last... Who's going to get the last word? I'm not sure how Jonathan felt about it. All I know is that he, he didn't mean to be malice. He didn't mean any malice, or he didn't have any ill will. He wasn't trying to be a jerk. He was just trying to fill some holes in my thought process. 
given more than 140 characters, I would have understood better, better where he was coming from, and I would have been able to not look like a total jerk. It is for this reason, among others, that I hate Twitter. I always have. Since I signed up. But Twitter, I can't quit you. So tweet me. At Geek Out Loud. At Steve Glosson. On the Twitter. Email is geekoutonline at gmail.com. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. Facebook.com slash geekoutloud. Lime Allen, don't forget to get in touch with me on Geek Out Loud Facebook page to let me know where I can mail those buttons to from Star Wars Celebration 6 that promoted the uh, worship service we did. There's some great... It's the phases of Anakin Skywalker. Great buttons. Really cool. If you want to support the show, make sure you use that Amazon link at geekoutonline.com. While you're at geekoutonline.com, the schedule for the Goldiverse recordings every week will be there, as well as links to buy a T-shirt, links to the mailing list, and, of course, check out that Goldiverse Wall of Fame. And leave a comment of thanks for the people who have supported us through patreon.com slash geekoutloud. You, too, can support us uh, there at patreon.com slash geekoutloud at any level that you're comfortable with. A dollar will get you on the wall of fame. Five dollars will get you the exclusive podcast that comes every month. Now, I told you there's going to be some changes, and there are. Currently, uh, I'm taking notes on watching Iron Man. I figured it out. I can do every Marvel movie from Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, we can do those on the exclusive pod. Commentaries on those on the exclusive pod. And by the, and when we do Guardians of the Galaxy, it should be the month that Avengers 2 comes out. Perfect. Perfect. It'll be fun to watch month to month together and have a good time with those movies. And again, you'll hear me saying some funny things, trying to be funny without making fun during these movies. I'm taking notes. I'm trying to do it right. I want it to be super quality. I want it to be great for you guys. So watch that. Uh, Watch out for that on your Patreon feeds, those of you who are supporting at the $5 level or more. For those of you who have supported the $15 level or more, uh, if you haven't reached out to me with your t-shirt size, and even if you have, reach back out to me at geekoutonline at gmail.com with that t-shirt size so we can make sure that we get those out this month. That's what we're trying to do is get the first of the exclusive t-shirts that you can get at the $15 level out. Uh, Proud member of Shot Glass Digital. Find all the all the content they have over at shotglassdigital.com. There's not only all the Gulliver shows there, but also Rebel Force Radio. And uh, we know how much those guys mean to this show. Don't know if we'll do another Geek Out Loud this week or not. We might, just to have some fun. Who knows? Definitely a big honking show later on in the week. Mark Out Loud coming. We're talking some Starcade, the very first one. And um, Disney Vault Talk. Coming later this week, we're going to hear all about Teresa Delgado's trip to Dragon Con. And as we look at the next animated feature there, so much happening with the Goliverse. And uh, there's so much gratitude and appreciation for each and every one of you who download, who listen, who rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, who interact with us via email and Twitter and Facebook. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being so great these past seven years. And I'm looking forward to more and more and more. Until next time, I'm Steve Lawson, and we'll see you on Geek Out Loud.